This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. Um, welcome, everyone, to our podcast. My name is Arnold Woods. I'm here with Emily Cornell. We are going to be discussing some pop culture things. I sound like, like a quiet storm DJ right now. I don't know why my <laughs> voice is this way. I'm embarrassed already. Great start. Emily, what's up? How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing okay. I think, I, I mean, part of the reason is my daughter's asleep, so I'm trying to like keep the voice down, but it makes me sound really weird. So I don't know. We're going to keep it going, though. Um, the purpose of this series is to discuss our favorite pop culture things, kind of go in depth on them and... Honestly, I just like talking about stuff that I like to talk about. And I get the sense that you're the same way. I love sports and corks. So it's a privilege to be here with you to to discuss Aww. this. This is kind of our first time like actually talking, isn't it? Yeah, which is so weird because I feel like over the past couple of years, like I've talked to you, but like to be like talking to you in this way, I'm like, oh, right. Like we know each other, but like we've not like met um, outside of just like chatting like, oh, I listened to your podcast or, you know, like the social media and then like the Slack interactions. Right. It's a weird time that we live in where we yeah. can like have these like connections with people without actually meeting in person. I'm a little salty because I know that you did come to Ames a while back. <laughs> and we didn't get a, a chance to connect. So I'm a little salty about that, but we'll, we'll figure that out some other time. Yeah. I mean, I can't say I'll necessarily come back to Ames, but I hear that Kansas City is a big place that a lot of Iowa State fans like to go. It is, yeah, Big Twelve uh, basketball tournament down there. Yeah, and I've, I spent a lot of my twenties down there doing um, embarrassing things while drinking alcohol. So that's a different <laughs> podcast. <subject laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna get into some Harry Potter talk tonight. We were very, very excited about this. I'm a big fan of Harry Potter. I came to the series kind of in a in a unique way, but we wanted to start this off by kind of talking about that. So Emily, what was your what was your introduction to the world of Harry Potter, the books, the movies? Like, kind of tell me about that a little bit, I guess. So when I remember when the movie came out and I was just like, I really want to see this movie. My mom was like, no, but you can read the book. And I'm like, no, I want to watch the movie. And she, no, we're not going to the movies. You can read the book series. Um, and that was how I started reading them. And they ended up being like the first books I read growing up and like it led me to read like more I was not like a super big reader before I read Harry Potter and then I loved it so much as a kid and um I think my mom was a little salty I did not love like the Chronicles of Narnia because that's what she grew up reading so she was like oh read this and I'm like no um so yeah mostly it was because my mom told me no go do something else so that's how I started reading them (laughs) Um, how did you come to them that was like a, in a unique way? Well, so I started, I, the first book was read to us in class in oh. fourth grade. 
Okay. So fourth grade, this would have been like between 98 and 99. And our student teacher, I remember, came to our class one day and was like, we're going to read this book that I read in one of my uh, college classes. It's called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And no one had heard of it. No one in the class had heard of the book before. Oh. And we, she read the book to us like by chapter. She might have read like two chapters a day or whatever for however long it took. And I remember after the first portion that she read, she asked us, she asked the class, okay, they, the writer keeps saying muggles. See if you can figure out what muggles are. And I remember me talking to my, my friends in class and we were trying to figure out like what the word muggles meant. So that's like my first memory of the book. The first book was read to us in class. And then like the summer after fourth grade, the book like exploded and became a phenomenon in the U.S. So that's how I was introduced to the series. I didn't read the books, though. Um, I didn't start reading the books until a lot later, but the movies I would see. Okay. Right. And I, yeah. I started working at a movie theater in somewhere after my sophomore year of high school. And that was 2005. And so Goblet of Fire movie came out in 05, in like October, maybe. And so I remember seeing that and I, you know, I, I would watch the movies like on TV, on cable yeah. when they came, when they came around and I didn't start, I didn't read the book series until I was 22. Oh, so you were like an adult when you read the I book. was, yeah, yeah. And people, it, it was spoiled for me because throughout the time that I worked, the movie theater I worked at, it was like a single theater. It was like one big screen. And so we would only have one movie at a time. And we got, the only Harry Potter movie we didn't get was Order of the Phoenix. And so we got every other one. And so every time a new movie would come around, all my coworkers were all teenagers. We all went to high school. And... We all went to high school together and like different high schools in Des Moines. And they would tell me what was what the plot was of each movie and of each book and stuff. And I remember when Half-Blood Prince came out, the book Half-Blood Prince came out. Everyone, all of my coworkers were talking about it. And they're like, oh, my God, I can't blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what happened? And one of them was like, do you really want me to tell you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And she was like, all right. Snape killed Dumbledore. And I was like, cool. I mean, I don't really have any context for what that means, but it seems really, I mean, you seem really upset about it. So I'm, I'm going to take it to, it's a pretty big event. I don't really know what's, what that means at all. So yeah, I, 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 I had an overview of what happened in the series, but reading it myself as an adult was um, pretty amazing. And now what I do is I read it every two years. I like reread the series. So That's good. I, it's definitely worth rereading frequently um i think harry potter might be the only book series i've reread like a good amount of times like i don't know if any other books have gotten that much love um that's so wild that the first time you read it you were like were the people that you were like friends with when you were like oh yeah i'm reading harry potter for the first time were they like what do you mean like how what is it like like um because reading it for the first time even if you've seen the movies, there's a lot going on in the books that like obviously can't make it into the movies. Right. And I'd heard that a lot. So honestly, like, so the first movie that I saw after having read the book was Deathly Hallows part one. Yeah. And so growing up with these movies coming out and the books coming out, I had always heard people talk about how 
the movies are just like a shortened version of the books, like how the books are so much richer and how the world is yeah. so much more fully formed and fully realized in the books versus the movies. And I like believe people, but I didn't really have a frame of reference for understanding if it was true or not. And so when I saw Deathly Hallows 1, I was like, okay, now I see what they were saying. I had like a, an idea of how people were interpreting the books versus the movies for the first time, which was really cool. And yeah, people, my friends are like, you know, it was kind of a, I'd, I'd been talking about it for a while. And so when I actually did it, it was more of a, you know, it's about time versus, oh my God, I can't believe you're, you're doing it for the first time. Because it was like probably a, a year or two that I'd been saying like, okay, I'm gonna read the books, I'm gonna read the books. And I finally like sat down and did it. So. Gotcha. Wow. What, like, why did you wait so long to start reading them? Like once you had decided to read them? Honestly, I think I was a point in my I was at a point in my life where I wanted to challenge myself from a literary perspective. Which mm-hmm. sound I don't know, that sounds like pretentious and stupid, but like I just graduated college and I was moving back home with my parents and I was working part time and I was kind of I mean, that's kind of the, the, the point in the person's life where they're trying to figure out where they're gonna go as an adult, I guess. Yeah. And so I read a children's series in Outplan. Um, <laughs> so I, I, it was it was one of those things where it was just like, I have the time to do it and it's something that I want to do and it's something that people feel like has value, right? Beyond just this book series about this boy or whatever. Like this, this brings people joy and, yeah. and it has value. And so I wanted to get into it. And, and reading it as a, as a 22-year-old, the first time I read the series, I really, I read it as J.K. Rowling's, like, I saw it as her, like, critiquing British culture a lot. Like, okay. I saw that, I saw that kind of in the subtext a lot, where things like, um, like, The Daily Prophet, I kind of saw that as her, like, critiquing the media in Britain. Yeah. And how they're kind of sensationalist and, and telling stories for the story's sake and not necessarily for the truth. And then also how they're influenced by the ministry of magic. Like I saw the ministry of magic as, as her critiquing the British government and how their leaders are like inept and they're more concerned about staying in power versus helping people. Sounds a little familiar these days, but yeah. um, that's, I, I saw the, like the subtext in, in the books, like the first time I read it, I remember that specifically. And then after reading it again, for the second and third time, I really got more of character development and what people were, were thinking and feeling and why they made the choices they made and things like that. So every time I, I've read it, it's, it's, it's become more like rich to me. And this is a year that I'm reading again. I always read it at the end of the year, every two years, and it's like the even years. So I'm looking forward to that again. Yeah. I need to do that. I should make a scheduled plan for that because I think now reading it, I would be, I would definitely probably pick up on more of that because I think the last time I went through the series, I would not, and I also wasn't in a place in life where I would pay attention to it relating to what's going on currently. Like it was never like a current affairs thing. It was just like a way to escape. Um, So I'm sure now that things are just more like blatantly obvious, uh, <laughs> it might pick up on that. Um, but that's wow. Wow. 
I can't even imagine waiting until adulthood to regret it. But like, I'm again, you like pick up way more than what I'm sure kids do or even sure. like, yeah, it's, it's good. So what are like some moments you liked? So we're going to talk about like our uh, top five moments. And so what's, what's your number five moment of the series? Yes. Okay. So my number five moment, I, as I was making this list, I realized that a lot of my, a lot of our moments are from the same book. Okay. Um, my favorite book, which is Deathly Hallows. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So Deathly Hallows is my favorite book. And I, we can get into why that is at, at a different point. We might talk yeah. about it later, but I mean, we're going to go, we have an episode later tease for our listeners. We have a, an episode coming later where we break down our favorite books. So, um, but yeah, so my, my number five moment is a really specific moment in Deathly Hallows and it's Ron um, yelling, he beat you. He, he yells that to Voldemort in Deathly Hallows. And the context of that is it is after Harry has sacrificed himself, he realizes that he is the, the last Horcrux after looking in the pensive and um, it's the Prince's Tale chapter of that book. And he sees Snape's version of events and how Snape loved his mom and everything like that, blah, blah, blah. And then there is a meeting with Snape and Dumbledore where Dumbledore reveals to Snape that Harry is the unintended horcrux that Voldemort made when he tried to kill him when he was a baby. And so he goes into the forbidden forest to confront Voldemort after Voldemort gives the school an ultimatum to have Harry come to the forest or else he'll like kill everyone or whatever. And so Voldemort hits him with the killing curse and then Harry has his meeting with Dumbledore and this kind of like suspended limbo type thing. And so he ends up going back. He's, you know, because he was willing to sacrifice himself and because he has a little bit of Voldemort's powers and everything inside of him, because he has a Horcrux inside of him, he's not killed by the killing curse, but he fakes like he is, right? So he is faking dead and he is brought from the forest back to Hogwarts and Voldemort is like declaring his victory over everyone and he's displaying Harry's body and he's like, you know, basically like, look, like your guy's dead, right? This is your hero, this is your champion, this is the man who y'all said would beat me and he's dead, I killed him. And so Ron yells back at Voldemort, like, he beat you. And there's a couple different, like, moments where that happens, where the troops are so rally, like, they're so, they're in anguish over what appears to be Harry dead, but they're still trying to, like, rally the troops to kind of keep the fight going. And that moment is so dope to me because Ron in the series is the most afraid of Voldemort, I think, of any other character. Yeah. And... Voldemort is a person who inspires such fear that they don't say his name. A lot of people don't say his name and everything like that. And Ron is like chief among that, especially in Deathly Hallows. And we get to know that, you know, the name has become a taboo and there's a curse on it and everything like that. But Ron in that moment, like there's no fear from him because he feels like his, his best friend, like his brother is dead, right? He's seen his, this person that he grew up with and that he loves, like he is a blood brother. Like he sees him before him dead. Um, so he thinks. And so in that moment, like it's one-on-one between 
him and Voldemort. And there's no fear in that moment. Like there's pain, there is anger, there's rage, but there's like absolutely zero fear from Ron in that moment. And in that moment, Ron would be like, it's basically like, fuck you. Like I'll, I'll fight you in front of everyone. Like, I don't care. And that's just like super dope to me that he is so emotional over Harry's apparent death that he's willing to confront Voldemort in that way after being the character who's been the most afraid of him for the entirety of the series. So that's my number five moment. That's a good moment. Um, it's definitely a turning point for Ron. Um, my number five moment is at the end of The Prisoner of Azkaban when Harry and Hermione, well, Hermione finds out that, or Harry finds out that Hermione's been like taking all these classes all year and the only way she's done it is because of the time turner. Um, I think just like realizing how she was doing that, like getting to that part of the book and um, it just being revealed that she was like, oh yeah, she took all, like she was trying to challenge herself. And um, I'm sure there's a lot that can go with like, oh, why don't you go back in time and like stop this? But she just is essentially, she can only do so much. And um, when they go and they save Buckbeak and, serious like it it's good because it's just like oh they try to do one small thing that like for both characters and it ends up like creating freedom because Sirius would have gone back to uh Azkaban and Buckbeak would have been um killed for hurting Draco Malfoy like so to me it's just like a really cool moment when they're like, oh, we actually have time where we can go back and like stop this one thing. Um, and because um, I'm sure plenty of people are like, oh, I wish I had time to like, you know, do all these other things. Um, but you also see kind of the problems with it where like they can't be seen and they like go and retrace their steps, but they're like, okay, what do I remember from this? Um, so it was more of a cool factor. Like it wasn't, there wasn't anything that was just like profound about the time Turner usage. It's 100%. Like when I read that, I'd always be like, Oh, that'd be so cool to be able to have a time Turner and like go back and just kind of get a little bit more done. And um, yeah. For sure. What was your, what was your reaction reading that for the first time to like introduce like a time travel plot device in that way like do you remember yeah like, how, like it was that's that was so unexpected to me so like what yes. was that like for you it was it was definitely unexpected and I think m- most people so like when I talked to my mom after I'd read the books because we'd probably read them at the same time um until like the Deathly Hollows, and then like I went bought it read it in the night and then gave it to her to read so um a lot of it I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is so cool and unexpected. Um, I will not guess the plot of anything. Like I will open a book and be like, okay, what's going to happen? And there might be some like foreshadowing. I will not pick up on it. I'm just like, everything is a surprise. Um, Cause I don't want to like have some weird expectation of what should be happening. Cause it's not like, obviously I'm not telling this story. So I am just going to take it, read it. And like by the end, probably have been surprised by things that a lot of people would not have been. And that was definitely something I was surprised about. I was like, oh my gosh, they, she added in like being able to travel through time, but like not really. And like, 
I mean, she does kind of touch on like why you can't just like go mess with the past. Like obviously it would impact a variety of things. So um, I, I thought it was the coolest thing the first time I read it. I still think it's really cool. Um, I think that like, there were probably times throughout the rest of the series she should have, she could have gone back to it, but right. Yeah. There are a lot of things I think throughout the series. Cause she just, she only has so much time to like paint a picture of this world that I don't know if she kept revisiting like the same thing. She could have really been like, like fleshing out the world. And I think with like the um, fantastic beasts and where to find them series, maybe she can like, go back to it and get a little bit deeper in things like time turners. And I mean, I would hope so, but maybe she doesn't, maybe she was just like, Oh, it's just more work than it's worth to like, think about, okay, if I make this character go back in time and they can only go back within a day, how are like, how am I going to like write this storyline where they like, have to be careful and they can't do this or they can do that like right yeah yeah so have you read um sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no you're good have you read um what is it the one the sequel uh the cursed child i've not i heard so many bad reviews for it i was like maybe i won't read this um so I haven't read it either but i i I did the the wikipedia browse okay and i know that Time turners play a large role in that, in the okay. cursed child. I'll leave it at that. But I do, and I've I've read stuff with J.K. Rowling where she's like, it was. She was like, I think that I jumped into time travel as, as a plot device to. Um, I was too casual with it because that has a like a lot of consequences, right? If it goes yeah. wrong, and then and like you said, like, well, why didn't you just go back in time and and do this? So. Um, I know that in one of the later books, like it's mentioned, I think it's mentioned that like a lot of the time turners had, or like all the time turners had been destroyed or something. Yes, like that. yes, yes. So, yeah, it's 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 crazy. I'm glad that you mentioned foreshadowing because foreshadowing is going to be uh, a part of my my number three moment. But okay, when, when when we get to it, but like that's he is he's so good at foreshadowing, and I'm I'm the type that likes looking for foreshadowing moments or like reading reading a line and being like okay that's gonna come up later yeah but some things like and she's really good at that but she's also really good at dropping things that you there's no way that you can see it coming and like yeah. the time turner you really can't see coming and even i think that's a really i think that prisoner of azkaban as a book itself is in is a really good example of foreshadowing different things but there's no way that you could really see it coming in the context yeah. of um the reveal at the end of the book and it's just it's such an interesting book prisoner of azkaban because it's like it's the only book where voldemort isn't in it in any shape or shape or form yep and then it's also like it's to take a detour from so the first two books obviously it's like harry versus voldemort right like that's the big the the core confrontation at the end or throughout those two books is Harry versus Voldemort. And then the third book is just like a detour from that where it's like this side villain, right? Yes. Supposedly one of Voldemort's biggest generals or whatever, biggest supporters, most powerful supporters or everything like that. And so to do that is just so interesting. And then the reveal at the end is like, actually he's a good guy, right? Actually he's Harry's godfather. 
And that's yeah. just him being Harry's godfather and being a good guy. Like there's just the way the book is structured. There's no way that you could really come to that conclusion yeah. the first time reading it. So it's just, it's so interesting. And it's, and like, I think it's the last light book. And I like say this with air quotes of like, I agree for sure. It's it, it just it's the last time where things are just very fun and like the time turner is like fun and kind of like you know, it it adds something to it where you're not like oh this is about to get heavy and like because Sirius gets saved and so does Buck like you're not like oh people are dying in this one like it's very and I don't want to say light because it's really not, but it is everything gets so much heavier starting yeah, at the right? beginning of the Goblet of Fire. Yeah, like um, comparative to the other books, it is like definitely like the last somewhat light book. I agree. It's the last time that they're kind of just like having fun because um, they just straight up aren't having a good time in the Goblet of Fire. So um, maybe that's another reason why I like picked that because it was like the biggest like awe moment and it was like while they're still like young and like they're young through the whole book series, but they, this is the last time that they're allowed to just kind of be hanging out. I agree. There is, yeah, there's, there's a loss of innocence after this book, Um, you know, culminating obviously in the the death of Cedric Diggory, but there is, there is definitely, this is the last Kitty somewhat book. Yes. Yes. Like I have a cousin who her, she has two younger children and I'm like, Oh, are they going to read Harry Potter? And she's like, well, they can read like the first one. And her oldest is seven. And she's like, she can read the first book in the second book, but like, it's going to be a while before we can read those other ones. And it's very interesting that jump between like book three, book four that it's like, oh, would you really want like a 10-year-old reading book four? Like there's nothing that's just like gross or like super bad by what our society would consider bad, but it is a dark story. Someone get like, there's like the, they're sacrificing people to bring back Voldemort. Like there's that. And um, yeah, there's some like real like body horror type shit in that. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, right. Like really the, the, the first three books are the ones that you're like, oh yeah, kids can read this. (laughs) And then four through seven, you're like, uh, maybe, maybe wait until you're like in eighth grade before you're gonna read this and like not freak out. Yeah. You got to age up a little bit before you start the goblet. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so what is your number four moment? Number four. Um, yeah, this one I'm, I'm going I'm to keep brief. It's a really simple moment for me, again, from Deathly Hallows, and it is Molly Weasley during the, the Battle of Hogwarts, and she's fighting Bellatrix Lestrange, and she says, not my daughter, you bitch. That is my number four moment, a very, very famous moment. For me, for me specifically, I love it because if you look at Molly's history throughout the books, I don't think that we ever see Molly use spells that aren't like housework related. Yeah. Right. Like she's cooking a lot or she's cleaning. I know in like um, order of the Phoenix, they they have to clean Grimmauld place. Yeah. And so she uses a lot of those spells and she, she's cooking a lot and everything like that. And like, that's really the only context in which we see her use magic throughout yeah. the series. 
But when her daughter's threatened, right, then it's like, you know, Bellatrix is about to, she's fighting, I think, Jenny, Dean Thomas, and one other person, I can't remember who. And she's just like, yo, back off. Like, she's mine. Like, everybody get, like, get the hell out of the way. Like, I'm taking her one-on-one. I'm ISOing. <laughs> like, everybody get out the paint. It's just me and her. And there's, like, a, a line in the in the book, I think, where Bellatrix kind of, like, laughs maniacally or whatever. But then she sees how serious Molly is. Yeah. And then they, like, start to go into it. And so her taking that initiative, you know, you know, when it's your child on the line, it's it's no more. I'm not cleaning anymore. Right. I'm not dusting. We're not cooking potatoes like let's like let's battle. Let's go at it. And she ends up, you know, killing Bellatrix. So that moment to me, I just like love just because of like contextually the the sharp difference between this, you know, domesticated, you know, motherly loving figure versus like it's it's time to battle like step off like i'm about to kill you yeah yeah i know that's a that's a scene a lot of people like know well both from like the book and the movie where she's just like ready to go and it's yeah it's a big contrast to how she's seen throughout like the entire scene because even when she it molly is like upset it's never like this. <laughs> um, right. But by yeah. the time she gets to this point in the Deathly Hallows, like one of her sons has died. Mm-hmm. Like she's just not having it. She's ready to go. So um, it's a big, big moment for Molly. It is. I, uh, it, it definitely is. And I didn't even think of that context too. Yeah. Like one of her sons has just died and just the, I, I'm going to talk about this later too, about Deathly Hallows, but just like this, that book has does a really good job of like showing the impact that war has on people, yeah. on like regular people, people who aren't soldiers but have to be. And yeah, that moment really culminates for her. And she's that's you know through since Order of the Phoenix really, and she has the clock that shows that everybody in her family is in mortal peril all the time. You know, like she's she's yeah. been going through it. So yeah, that's a, that's a really big moment for Molly. What about you? What is your number four moment? So when in the Chamber of Secrets, um, they Harry and Ron realize that Hermione like solved, you know, what was par- like like making everyone just like paralyzed. Um, and they're like, oh my gosh, she realized we needed to like have a mirror, like we can't look the basilisk like directly in the eyes or that'll kill it. Um, so that just I picked that moment one again. I like, I like the cool factor of what happens in the moments, not necessarily like that specific. Oh, they're like, Oh, she's like, we can't talk to her. She's basically a statue. But when they're like, we really need her to be able to like live our lives. Like we would be dead. We would not be able to go into the chamber of secrets and know that like, don't look at the basilisk. Um, I think one, it just shows like, she plays such a huge role. Hermione plays such a huge role um, in the series. Like it does set her up where like throughout the rest of the series, they're like, no, she knows what's up. Um, And it kind of like humbles them where they're like, oh, we actually don't, wouldn't have figured out all of these different things. And we were not thinking about it. We weren't taking it like as seriously as she obviously was. Um, and maybe because it's like right after they realize that they get to go into the chamber of secrets, which 
again, it's like a fun, it's kind of fun. It could be like, it, it has dark moments because there is like the, the blood involved, but overall it's still, it's a lighter book. It's a quick story. And like, kind of it's still one of those stories where like it focuses on their friendship like the three of harry ron and hermione and how they just like all need to lean on each other um without and they're not having anything that's necessarily like digging at it that would like cause like the stress beyond just like ron having his insecurities about harry um it's still pretty innocent and they're just like oh we're friends and we need to listen to hermione because she knows how to solve this problem. Yo, this is such a good moment. This is such a good moment. And you you wrote it in the outline. And all you wrote was when they realized Hermione. And I'm like, huh, I'm, there's a couple different moments. <laughs> yeah. maybe. But this, I, that's such a good moment. That is such a good moment. I didn't know how to like phrase it, writing it out. But I was like, because I, even in my own like notes, it just says the Chamber of Secrets. And I'm like, well, obviously the Chamber of Secrets is cool. But, like, it's more so Hermione being part of it. Um, she, I just think, like, that, it's not really, like, the second half. Maybe it's, like, the the last quarter of the book when they are all, like, it's coming to the conclusion. And they're, like, oh, Hermione figured this out. And we're going to, like, go into the chamber. Um, it's just very... Very as fun as it can be, considering they're going into like the sewers of the school to kill this snake. There's such a an emotional resonance in that moment because if you look like the first book, right? They save her from the troll. Yeah, Harry and Ron save her from the troll, and then it's like you know, since that moment, they're going to be friends. Yeah, like it's, it, it explicitly says that in the book. One of the few times where it's not subtext, like it's actual text. Like J.K. Rowling's like, from this moment on, right? They're friends, and so in Chamber of Secrets, like that, just it gets taken to another level when she gets petrified, and you yeah. can really like feel their dread when they realize. First of all, when they, I think the teachers like put her, put the statue on the bed, and then they hear them say that it's Hermione, and they're just like, oh no. Yeah. And like you said, like when they put it together and everything like that, and it is, it's such a, her, what a character Hermione is, man. Like what a, what a literary character. She is um, as essential to the story as Harry is. Yes. It's, I, I, it's, it's so fascinating to look at her arc. And we talked about binge mode when we, when we were playing this podcast and a shout out to binge mode. Cause that's just a, the best piece of pop culture criticism of this century, in my opinion, but they say something in their, in their order of the Phoenix podcast, which is long. I mean, order of the Phoenix, obviously, um, is that the longest book? I think maybe that one, I, th- I think it is, but it's also like, I'm going to, say it's just like the worst of the books sure <laughs> it like doesn't do it for me um it it's good it serves its purpose but right uh. <laughs> the first time i read it i was like i really don't like the book i've i've softened i've softened on the book since rereading it a couple of times yeah but i mean to me it's probably my least i don't know it's weird because it's my order of the phoenix is my favorite movie oh. but it's my least favorite book which is weird but i don't know 
I don't know, but like she's Hermione in Order of the Phoenix, like she is the hero of that book. And Binge Mode really points that out because like everything that her she's right, like literally every time when she tells Harry or suggests Harry to do something and he doesn't do it, like he's wrong and she's right every time. If yeah. it's, you know, Hermione's the one that's like, you know, he Voldemort is planning these things in your head. Like Sirius is fine, like don't, and Harry won't listen to her, right? And obviously like it has to happen in the way it happens in order to advance the plot. But like yeah, throughout the entire book, she's, you know, Dumbledore's army is her idea, right? Like everything she does in that book, like she is really the hero of that book. It's crazy. Um, but she, 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 what a character she is. She definitely, and I think, and in like the uh, Sorcerer's Stone, when she does help them like move forward, like she definitely plays a huge role when she's helping them solve the riddles to like get through once they get past Fluffy and they like are in the devil snare when they're like um, trying the different potions. Like she definitely is a huge player. Um but I feel like they don't appreciate her as much then as they do when they're, they find her petrified and they're like, Oh no, what are we going to do? Right. That's like really where they're like, we need her. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's like, she's the one that figures things out and who is, she's always two steps ahead of everyone. So it's, yeah, that's what a great moment, man. I'm like jealous that I didn't think of that. That's really dope. Well, I think you have other very, thoughtful and good moments um coming up so you had mentioned your number three moment when we were talking about number five so what's number three yes so my number three moment is the opening chapter of goblet of fire um chapter one of goblet of fire is called the riddle house i want to read just the opening sentence the opening sentence of chapter one of goblet of fire says the villagers of little hangleton still called it the riddle house even though it had been many years since the Riddle family had lived there. Right. So that's the opening line. And like, right from that opening line, you realize like, okay, this one is going to be different. This is going to be a different book than, than the three books that have come before. Yeah. And I think Rowling is really good at like showing you the way that the world exists outside of only Harry's perspective. Yes. Um, this is it, it's it starts right like Sorcerer's Stone starts outside of Harry's perspective, right? It's like Privet Drive, and then there's these weird things that happen throughout England, and there's people wearing strange clothes going up and down the street, and there's like fireworks going off, and then it ends with you know this man on the street, right? And there's a cat, and he starts talking to the cat, right? And like all the and it becomes McGonagall and everything like that, like all of that is outside Harry's perspective. And this, in my opinion, is like one of the best examples of world building outside of Harry's perspective. Yeah. And I was debating between this chapter and the opening chapter of Half-Blood Prince, which is the other minister, where the minister of magic um, meets, or the former minister of magic fudge introduces um, Scrimmageur to the Muggle Prime Minister. And that's another good example of like the world building outside of Harry's perspective. But so chapter one goes into, it's about, you know, Frank Bryce, right? It ends with Frank Bryce being murdered by Voldemort and how Frank Bryce is seen as this guy, like everything, everything in that chapter, it's like, it's the villagers, right? The villagers know that there's this old guy who keeps up the riddle house. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are these people who were murdered there and it's people think it's haunted or they stay away from it. It's, it's weird. And like kids like throw shit at the, at the house, all that type of stuff. 
And again, this is foreshadowing, right? Yeah. Like right from the beginning, the Riddle House, this, you know, the first line, the name of the chapter. Well, what do we know about Riddle? What do we know about that name, right? It's Voldemort's name. Yeah. And so if you've never read the book before and you pick this up and you're like, okay, what, what are we going to learn and who are we going to learn it about? And she's just, she's so good at that. And that, that comes at its apex in Half-Blood Prince when she goes back in time through various memories to learn the story of Voldemort. But it really starts here. And the, this, we've, we've mentioned already how Goblet of Fire is what kind of elevates the series from children's literature to like, just like regular classic literature. And it just starts here right in the first chapter. So I love it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you picked um, that chapter. Um, the Goblet of Fire is my favorite book of the series. Okay, because it 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 pivots so hard <laughs> from like the last couple of books that like reading it. I think one time I when I read the series, I read the books like my fit in my favorite, my favorite first, and then like I read The Order of the Phoenix last because it's not my favorite. Like of all of them and I've just like so much happens you learn so much and it really brings like things that had happened before Harry and then everything that you learn from the first three books and it really ties everything together a little bit more um and it happens more throughout the rest of the series but like for whatever reason this book is just like oh this is like the why and um yeah i think that's a solid a solid moment that really sets up the rest of that book it is and like the again the the pivot from um like you said like the pivot from they were just kids right it seems like they're just kids and they are yeah. that a thing is uh, what's so powerful is that they're still just kids right but they still have to Throughout the series, they're just kids, but they have to deal with these extraordinary burdens and circumstances that are placed on them. And this is the book where that happens in full. And again, foreshadowing. And and the in the in the first chapter, where Voldemort mentions my most faithful servant is at Hogwarts, and we're trying to figure out who it is. Who is it? Is he talking about Snape? Right? Is it Karkaroff? Karkaroff's back there, and it's it's these these little hints of mystery where we're trying to figure out. And again, who's going to, who's going to pick up that at the end it's Moody, right? Where it's Barty Crouch in disguise using Polyjuice Potion as Moody. Like no one could have deduced that, but she's just so good at crafting the world and knowing which characters are going to serve what function and what purpose that um, she's just, she has like a real mastery of that. And that's also right in the first chapter of this book. She and she'll like drop the names of those characters early and like in other books, like before you even have any idea, yes, yeah, who they are. So that, like, and I think as you reread them, you're like, oh, right, like I know who this person is, but they're mentioned so offhand that you're just like, and because they might not be mentioned again in the rest of that book, you're just like, oh, that didn't matter, and then they'll come up in later. Um, she she does that very well, um, and it makes it a super enjoyable story to follow. She's just yeah, she's such a, a skilled writer in that way. 
Yes. And yeah, just I agree completely. Just the offhand mentions that come. There's a in I think it's in Half Blood Prince where they she he they mentioned offhand a, a rusty tiara in the rumor requirement. Yeah. Just offhand, like you would have never thought about that. And then it becomes such a pivotal moment when you realize it's a horcrux in the next book. So it's just, it's, she's incredible at that. Let's go into your uh, number three moment. Um, so I kept, I was thinking of all like the positive things of like the first time I read the series where I was like, I love this. Um, and it's not that I don't love anything from the later books. I enjoy them very much, but um, I enjoyed when Fred and George give Harry the Marauder's Map. One, it just kind of like, it helps build that relationship where Harry doesn't just have the relationship with Ron. It becomes, he has a relationship with like the Weasley family. Um, Great point. Even though you don't necessarily see him building relationships with Percy or Bill or Charlie, like he does have those relationships and like they, they engage, but like when he really is there with Fred and George, um, that's just, that's really special, but it, then it's very special that, like, later he finds out that, like, his dad made it, like, helped make it, and um, it just, I think, just what it, it, it connects him to his dad in just a different way, and, like, Sirius and um, Lupin, so... I don't know. I it, again, it's. I was like, oh, what moments were just like so neat the first time I went through it, and this was one of them. And then like finding out at the end of the book, like the reveal, and then he ends up using it like through out for a good number of the rest of the series, a good number of the books. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed one that of, moment. <laughs> one of the things I like a lot is when you'll there will be little things. It'll be kind of subtle, but it'll be like damn, like, that's a really advanced piece of magic. Yeah. And, like, the Marauder's Map is a really advanced piece of magic made by these school-aged children. And that's a a kind of a theme with um, Remus and James and... um, Shit, who am I missing? Uh, Sirius, right? Yeah. Like, they're... they're, And, I mean, obviously, Pettigrew is like... he's, He's like the lesser of the four, right? But yeah, like and those... he... no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, and he like he's part of that group, but like you don't because he's obviously full of fear in a way that they aren't, and he's just like a weak person. He's a right. well-written character, but a weak person. You just don't yeah. like, think about it when you think about like the Marauder's Map. You're like, oh yeah, he was part of that, but like really, right. <laughs> it was the other three driving that. And and they mention several times it's mentioned from like I, I think from Dumbledore and a few other people how advanced they were yeah which plays into I mean they were kind of arrogant right because they yes. were so good at magic at such a young age and that kind of informs their personalities but that's like this is a really tangible example of that is them being able to craft this piece of parchment that can show you where people are all the time um and it's all it always works right it's a it's one of those it's it's one of the rare things, one of the rare pieces of magic that is like foolproof in this world. Like it 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 always works. Like the map never lies, right? If you if you're seeing someone on the map, they're there. 
now yes. there's like the, the bit of the quibble with Barty Crouch, right? Because it's like, it's not, it's Barty Crouch Jr. instead of, you know, Barty Crouch. And so that kind of comes into play in, in Goblet of Fire. But it's it's this really, really advanced piece of magic made by um, people who aren't professionals, quote unquote. And so that little moments like that, I really like. Well, and I'm wondering, like, I think about, like, their motives when they made it and, like, what they were using it for, because you also see that when they're, um, you know, they go into the Whomping Willow, like, I'm, there has to be some significance there, just because it wasn't like they made it to, like, go around and troll everyone. Um, I don't know, the intent behind their magic, because, like, for the most part, the stories that you hear about them, it's not like they're there's malice in what they're doing. Right. So. Yeah. I think that that's really, it's, and it's the characters are written so well too, in that way, because they're at the end of the, yeah, it's like a, it's an advanced piece of magic, but at the end of the day, they're like 14, 15 year old boys, school boys. Right. Yeah. And so they, they're doing dumb 15, 16 year old school boy stuff, even though they're, you know, even though they're advanced in, in their magical abilities, they're, they're still immature in a lot of ways. So Yeah, they're just, like, using it to sneak off campus. So right. It, right. like, I don't know. It's fun. It's one of the last fun things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what's your number two moment? Number two moment for me it is it comes from Half-Blood Prince, and it is the memory that Dumbledore shows Harry of his meeting with Voldemort. This is, this one was my last, my, my number one moment I, I knew the whole time. And I was kind of like really debating between these other moments. And when I remembered this moment, I was like, this has to go at number two. Um, to me, it's, so so the setup is, um, in Half-Blood Prince, obviously like Dumbledore showing Harry these memories related to Voldemort so that they can, um, confirmed Dumbledore's suspicions that he's made horcruxes. And then also so Harry can understand the way that Voldemort thinks and the, you know, the context in which he was raised so that he can try to figure out where the other horcruxes could potentially be. And so we learn after this that this meeting was so that Voldemort could put one of the horcruxes in the school. But he calls this meeting with Dumbledore for a job interview, basically. Mm-hmm. And he, by this time, is Voldemort. And so one of the, one of the dope things about Half-Blood Prince is that it shows his entire progression. Mm-hmm. It shows Voldemort's entire pro- progression. And Dumbledore is there every step of the way. And so Dumbledore met Voldemort as a boy, as a young boy that grew up in you know, shitty circumstances but was pretty much evil from the beginning. And then the evil progresses to this point where he is now, you know, he taught Voldemort. He was around Voldemort as he grew in magical knowledge. And so now he is meeting with Voldemort in order to um, what's ostensibly again, like a job interview, like he comes to Dumbledore's office. And to me, this moment is just a, it's an expression of everything that Dumbledore is good at and everything that he's known for. 
And so he's known as being not only like this incredibly powerful, fearless wizard, but he's always calm, right? He's always in control of the situation. He always, um, he's always like looking down at the situation in a way. Like he's, 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 he's elevated above the situation. And even in this meeting with Voldemort and so Voldemort comes in and he, like right off the bat, right? He's like, what's up, Tom? And Voldemort's like, you know, people call me a different name. And he's like, I'm, I'm aware of what people call you, but I'm going to call you Tom. Yeah. And it's, it's written where it's like Harry could see like, okay, he set the terms of the meeting already. Like the tension in that meeting is, is so palpable and it's so well written. And it's, it's, it's my favorite Dumbledore line like my favorite Dumbledore sequence where he's like, okay, like, let's just like, let's just cut it, man. Like, why are you really here? Like, I know that you don't really want to teach here. And I know that, you know, that I would never let you teach here. So why are you really here? Like, what do you really want? And he's like, I know that you got your crew um, at the bar. Like, I know that you've, you know, I know that you're casing the place, like what's going on. And so his ability to really like cut through this plan that Voldemort has where Voldemort's like, you know, I'm, I, I've, I've learned all of these things. Like, I'm, I want to be a teacher here. I, all of my magical abilities, I lay at your feet. I'm at your disposal. Like, use me how you want to. And Dumbledore's like, that's BS. Like, you're not going to charm me. Like, I know how you charm other people, but you're not going to charm me. You're not going to BS me. And that's just, I really love that moment. It's a very good moment. Um, and I think that it, like it kind of helps tie together just like Voldemort's story and like the fact that he and Dumbledore still like had somewhat of a relationship. Like it wasn't like he left Hogwarts and then like became evil and Dumbledore was like, I just don't understand. Like Dumbledore knew and like still was like, why are you trying to be here again? And like, what are your motives? Um, Yeah, I think it's, also, just a solid book, I think. Um, the Half-Blood Prince is probably my second favorite because it just kind of tells more of the story for everyone, like, yeah. including Dumbledore, who like is kind of this like mysterious character for a lot of the books. Um, and then in that book, part of this is him being like, you see that Dumbledore is not perfect. Right. For sure. I, um, to me, Half-Blood Prince, in my opinion, is like the best, it's the most well-written book. Yeah. Um, just because of the plotting of it and the, the way that they have to, you know, dive into the past. And then there's other callbacks from other things. Karkaroff makes an appearance in, uh, in that book, I believe, through memories and, um, like, all of these different things that have to happen in that book to advance it to the last book. It's just yeah. it's super well-written. Yeah. And she, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was sorry to cut you off. Um, she just like, like you said, like it progresses it, but it doesn't like a lot of books will like drag to like progress the story to like get it to that final like point. Um, and Half-Blood Prince, like, as you're saying is like probably the most well-written like, it's very tight. And, like, the story moves while also giving you the information. Like, this is what happened. This is what happened in the past. This is what's happening now. And, like, how do we move forward? Sure. For sure. Let's get into your number two moment. What's yours? 
Um, the first time that Harry goes to the burrow is like a super <laughs> pure moment. Um, he then like, because he has the relationship with the Weasleys, um, it's just like, it becomes home to him. And in the first book, like, you know, that Harry's not treated very well living with his actual family. Um, the Dursleys suck. And Harry is like, just not super loved. And um, I think that the first time he goes to the borough and he's just like very well taken care of because Molly Weasley's so, such a good mother and like, she doesn't treat him special because she has all these children just running around, but she like still like makes time for him and like all of the, all of the Weasleys kind of go out of their way to like make sure that he feels welcome. Um, yeah. I was thinking about like the feelings of the books of like, Oh, like this is a moment when he just like, he could take it for granted, but he definitely does not because later in the series, he's just like, very appreciative of them and going to the borough and it like is significant to him. I think that becoming a father has really informed my opinion on things in a different way. It's really influenced my opinion on things in a different way. And I think about this moment as you describe it. And I just think of like the ways that children need security. Yeah. And children who were raised in really traumatic environments and experiences like Terry had a traumatic childhood bro yes it was beyond just his parents being murdered right and he never got a chance to meet them and then he gets lied to about the circumstances of their death yep and then he has to be raised in an environment where there's a child who was a clear favorite and he is treated like trash yep and parental figures who just openly exhibit distaste for him and disdain for him and he's just like he's he's just treated really bad and children he's like 11 right when he finally leaves yep but he was raised in this you know shitty environment for 11 years and then to juxtapose that with how he is treated and how he is loved and how he is valued at the borough um it's 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 deeper than just learning that you're a magician, right? It's deeper yeah. than just learning that you're a wizard. Like, that's cool and everything like that. But then you also have a family that loves you. Yes. And that's also his tie to Hogwarts, right? There are people at Hogwarts who love him. There are people at Hogwarts who value him and who are invested in his success and his happiness. Yes. And that gets taken to the max at the borough. And so imagining a child who who goes from a situation where people hate him to where people love him, it's just, you really can't, you know, undersell how important that is and how emotional that is. And it, and again, like in that, for when you read the Chamber of Secrets, when they bust him out and they fly, they have the flying car um, and they show up and Molly's like pissed. <laughs> like she's like, yes, yeah, she's heated. <laughs> she's like, why did you leave? Why did, why did you go in the middle of the night? You could have been, you could have been seen and like all these things. And then like, after all because like obviously she's like disciplining her children in the process but it's not like what harry has seen in terms of like an adult interacting with a child um like it very much comes from a place of love and then like she just loves him well um yeah it it's a good 
it's a good moment that like leads to more good moments throughout the series. I agree. And her, the, the, the Molly Harry relationship is an underrated relationship in the series. I think. Oh, for sure. It's, it's, it's such a, it's really the only mother he's ever known is, yeah. is Molly. And even I, I think about in order of the Phoenix where, you know, he is trying to get in on those meetings and they're, they're keeping these things from him and he's really frustrated by it. And you know, someone, it might be serious. Who's like, you're not his mother. And she's like, I'm as good as right. Like yeah. she admits it. So it's, that's a, a really great, really great relationship. It, it, it is. It, um, the JK Rowling, she like crushes it with the relational piece. Um, I understand why there are studies that are like, kids are more like empathetic when they, after they read Harry Potter. Well, it's cause they read things like this where they see like, he's in a terrible situation. Now he's in a really good situation. Right. It's only because people are being like, it's day and night and how people are treating him. So um, yeah. What is your number one moment of the series? Number one is the one I, I love talking about. And I don't think I've really expressed to anyone. So I'm, I'm excited to. Oh my gosh. This is this, the inside scoop. This is my moment. So be prepared for this. No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> My 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 number one moment, my favorite thing in the Harry Potter series is in spoiler alert, obviously, um, Deathly Hallows. Uh, my favorite book. It is when they break into the Ministry of Magic, where Harry, Ron, and Hermione break into the Ministry of Magic to, to steal a Horcrux from Dolores Umbridge. You, it's the the chapter is called Magic is Might, and at the end of the previous chapter. They apprehend um, Mundugas Fletcher, and he reveals to them that he sold Slytherin's locket unknowingly to Umbridge. And so the chapter begins with a time lapse, right? It starts with August and then goes into September. And it's, it's I have to, I, let me back up. It's my favorite moment. It's my favorite. It's the trio's best moment, in my opinion. And the reason I like it the the most is because it's it's so it's so dope because it's like everything that they've done, every like plan that they've hatched, every like caper that they've pulled, every everything that they've had to every plan that they've had to execute has led to this moment. Um I I consider their first like real plan, quote unquote, to be the polyjuice polyjuice potion plan in Chamber of Secrets. So in Chamber of Secrets, they're trying to figure out if Draco Malfoy is the heir of Slytherin or knows the heir of Slytherin or is either opening the chamber or helping the chamber chamber get open. And so their plan is they're going to use Polyjuice Potion to transform into Crab and Goyle and then a girl named Millicent Bolstrode. Um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are going to transform into those three. Goes wrong for Hermione, obviously. But... Um, Harry and Ron do it. And that plan takes time, right? Because Polyjuice Potion takes like a month to brew. Yep. And so they, you know, they have to, they, they have this plan that they do. And of course it doesn't go exactly as they plan it, but it works, you know, well enough. And it's the same with the ministry, right? Like there's a through line between them deciding to use Polyjuice Potion to, to break into the Slytherin common room to, you know, 
four five years later and they use Polyjuice Potion to dress up as ministry workers to infiltrate the Ministry of Magic and to steal the Horcrux. And it's it's there's the time, there's the planning that goes into it. Like I just love it. And I love the way that it happens because it happens where, you know, it's it's September and you know, they've been spent it's implied that they've been casing the Ministry of Magic using the invisibility cloak and polyjuice potion. I think in polyjuice potion for a while, like they're just staking it out and they're, you know, and they're trying to learn how to get in, you know, the, the um, schedule that the workers arrive at, like they have to, there's so much that they have to, to do to plan to get into it. Cause it's such a dangerous thing to do because, you know, the ministry is under control of the death eaters and all this other stuff. And they're like the most wanted people. And so Harry comes in one day with like the newspaper that says that Snape has been appointed headmaster at Hogwarts. And they kind of discuss that and they're mad about that, blah, blah, blah. And then like, out of nowhere, Harry is like, you should do it tomorrow. And Hermione and Ron look at him like, what? Like, how do you like, what the hell are you like tomorrow? Like, you kidding me? And he's like, we're as prepared as we're going to be. We've been going over this plan for weeks. Like we need to just do it. And so they decide to do it and you see from Harry's perspective, like he's up all night, like he has this anxiety about the plan. And then when they execute it, like there's a moment where it's just like Rowling writes, like how Harry's just like, we're just like kids doing this. Like we're so unprepared for this. Like this is such a stupid plan. Like this overwhelming sense of pressure. Again, like we mentioned earlier, the cost of war and the impact of war has on like regular people they're kids right they're yeah. kids they're 16 they're 17 and they're this is like the mo- this is a suicide mission but they don't have any other options and so it's the way that it happens and they have to use their wits and things go wrong and they have to use their instincts in order to to execute it and when they get out of it ron almost dies because he gets splinched and like everything associated with it is my favorite thing that's a really good moment that's a basically what it all like is going towards is them i mean there's obviously the harry facing voldemort but i think in terms of like all of their schemes and plans to like solve the problem you see their problem solving through all the books and finally they're applying it to something where it's like oh wow they realize that this could be life or death um so definitely a, a really good moment. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you, you mentioned problem solving because that is like, this is Harry's book. I mean, they're all Harry's book, but this is like really Harry's book because Harry is so, he's such a practical thinker and Harry is just really good at being presented with a problem and being like, okay, here's how we're going to fix the problem. Here's how we're going to solve the problem. He's not the most magically gifted he is yeah. gifted, especially with, you know, Defense Against the Dark Arts. But in general, on the whole, like, he's not as gifted magically as, like, a Hermione is. Yeah. Right? But he's just so, his instincts are so good, and he's so good at problem solving. And this is a real example of that in the book. And, like, all throughout the book, he has to do that. But especially here, like, he has to use his problem, solve, his problem solving ability to get himself and his friends, like, out of this, like, death situation basically yeah yeah and it i mean moves them to the next 
like part of the story, but this is like the biggest, the biggest thing they do before getting to like face Voldemort. For sure. It's just, yeah, this is, this, it's really a linchpin in the story. This, this comes, this is maybe a fourth of the way through the book. And yeah. it really like it really springs aboards them to everything else, especially because like they they can't go to grip back to Grim Old Place now, yeah. right? Like this is the start of them wandering the English countryside, and yes. this is so this is so well done in the movie too. Um, just their, you know, they they had the the safety and the comfort of home, and creatures started to like them, and and you know they're eating meals every day. And that's all gone now because yeah. as a result of their of botching, quote unquote, the, the ministry break in, even though they got the Horcrux. But yeah. now they can't destroy the Horcrux. So there's all this like extra shit that they have to deal with. So it is just so Yes. Good. But it definitely because it does happen kind of later in the book. Like it it's not like one of the first things they're doing. Um and maybe this is like like the Deathly Hollows, like she wraps everything up very well. I think, but it definitely, it takes a lot of time because they are, it's showing like they're planning this and this is how they're going to, it's a strategy kind of like she's show, she's showing how they're getting the strategy to like end it all. Um, and then this is where it like picks up and it starts moving. So. For sure. What is your number one moment? So my number one moment is from my favorite book, uh, the Goblet of Fire, because it's, Again, you can tell in the beginning of the book, like it's going to be a pivot from what you're, you've been seeing. Um, and then in the, like after they start getting to like the Triwizard Tournament, like it's still pretty light. Like, yeah, the beginning of the book where you're, you're kind of like, what's going on? What's she writing about? But like once they get back to the world of like Harry, Ron, Hermione, it starts off pretty similar to the other books, but then like the Triwizard Tournament, like there are moments where it's like, oh, like this is a little bit, a little bit darker. And then they get to the maze and it's like a death maze. It's like trying to kill the uh, participants. And one, like the maze is just super interesting. Like, there's so many different things happening in it. Everything, and then there's so many different things happening with each um, person competing. So um, Harry like will run into them, and they'll like they'll cross paths, and then eventually it gets to be Harry and Cedric, and they get to the cup, and they get transported, and that's where it just like really goes downhill for Cedric Diggory. Like very unfortunate for him to say the least <laughs> like, Jeez. He, he had a really tough time and um but like that you just like know that and it like that's what it's leading up to like the the tournament like the maze for the tournament that's what you think is like oh this is what this is leading to like they're gonna get into this maze whoever wins like that's what you know they're gonna they're gonna win this tournament but then it's just like it's like hitting a brick wall with what happens after that, where you're like, Oh my God, this is so heavy. Cause like, and I think it's because Cedric dies. Like that's like why it just is like a, your heart drops like when you get through it. Cause it is very like, 
um, like tense throughout it. And then, yeah, it, um, it just, you see how like the book has been like set it, like set up to get to, Oh, Harry gets in front of Voldemort. Yeah, I agree for sure. I want, I wanted to say two things about this moment. I yeah. just wrote this down. Like, this is such an incredible, incredible moment in the series. Um, the first thing about that, about the maze itself, what's what's so good about that is that in Harry's mind, like you really sense how like how anxious he is and yeah. like, the sense of dread that he has. Because when he enters the maze, at first he's just like, This is too easy, right? Like it shouldn't be this easy compared to yeah. like the last stuff that we've done. Yeah. And so he's just like so tense and on guard, and you really feel that from him uh, in the way that she writes it. And then, so he, you know, the, the end reveal of the cup itself being a port key, and then they're transported to the graveyard. And then, you know, the, everything happens with Voldemort resurrecting. Um, it's such a, it's such an example of how like that, that plan took months, Right. The yeah. plan to get Harry into that graveyard for that to happen took months and planning. And it shows like they're both planners, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. That's the theme of the book, the, the similarities between Harry and Voldemort. One of the similarities that isn't talked about often is that they're both planners, like super planners, like because yeah. that to have Moody, to have Barty Crouch disguised as Moody planted at Hogwarts and secretly aiding Harry through the challenges and building his trust and making sure he gets, you know, first or second or enough points so that he can advance and, um, and then helping him throughout the maze and everything like that, like it culminating in that, like it really shows the the links that Voldemort was willing to go through. Um, in order to get his body back. So yeah, incredible moment. It, it definitely, like we've said, like the, the Goblet of Fire is like a book that is kind of the turning point of the series where it just like the, the tone changes. Um, and that is like where, you know, that it's changed. Like you, you have a sense that it's like, Oh, this is a little bit different. And then you get to the, the graveyard and you're like, yep, this is definitely about to just get very heavy and that's when Harry is kind of forced to grow up like it's not that he wasn't already behaving in a way that was like above what you would expect of like an 11 12 or 13 year old but he watches someone die in front of him and he's like oh my god um and so maybe it it makes sense why in like the order of the phoenix he's just like the worst yeah I, I really like I I've I've softened on that book like I said because it's just like he's had to endure these like super dramatic yeah. horrific events and then but from his perspective like he did it right like he's had to face things that wizards twice his age haven't had to do and he yeah. succeeded like he's gone toe to toe with Voldemort like he's had to do all of these things and then he gets you know treated like a kid and like no one wants to tell him any of the plans and everything like that so I get it from his perspective. He's an angsty teen. He is. For sure in that book. But I, I can, I understand him a little bit better after reading that book more. Yeah. 
and maybe I'm like biased because even J.K. Rowling's like, ah, that just wasn't the one. Like, I didn't love the way I put that one together. Um, and I'm like, yeah, like it was the Arthur Weasley getting hurt, um, serious dying. Like, it's just like not like it's just a very stressful book <laughs> for is. the characters. Um, it is very stressful. And then Harry is like in a bad mood, which like he it's fair that he's in a bad mood, but like as a reader, you're just like, Oh, what is wrong with you? Um, yeah, I agree. But yeah, I get it. Um, so yeah. Do you have any honorable mention moments that Um, didn't quite make your list? I have one. Okay. Tell me your honorable mention for the list. My honorable mention is, I believe this is actually in order of the Phoenix in the beginning where um harry mentions it is yeah harry mentions dementors and because of what happened like he the book starts the book opens with him and um dudley going you know and everything they go to um they're like walking along and these you know these dementors come and harry has to use magic which is you know that sets the plot in motion where he's they're trying to get him kicked out of school blah 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 yeah. And he comes home and he saves Dudley, but Dudley like almost had the Dementor's kiss performed on him, right? Or he had it a little bit. And so he's just like so out of it. And he's like, you know, what's going on? And then his parents, obviously, um, Petunia and Vernon, they blame Harry, of course, because they always do. And Harry mentions that it was Dementors. And Vernon says something like, what are Dementors? And Petunia's like, they guard the Wizard Prison Azkaban. And Harry's like, how in the hell did you know that? Yeah. There's just like brief like moment. And she like, she's like, oh, like she realizes, she realizes what she said. And she realizes that she reveals that she knows more about the wizarding world than she's been letting on. And there's a, there's a, like a slight moment of connection there between Petunia and Harry. And Harry is like, you know, Voldemort's back. And she's like, he is like, she believes him, right? No one in the wizarding world believes him or only like, you know, Less than 15 people in the wizarding world believe Harry that Voldemort's back, but his Petunia, but Anya, Aunt Petunia does like right off the bat. Yeah. And their relationship is like horrible, but she knows enough that, and there's a, there's a line where he's like, he finally, like for the first time, really recognized that he or that she was his mother's sister, like for the first time. So that, that moment I really like. That's definitely a, a good moment because it's like one of the few where Aunt Petunia is like kind of likable. Um, right. Not like it doesn't completely forgive for all of the things that she's done and how like terrible she's been, but um, yeah, right. It's, not at it, all. It's definitely a good like relationship moment. Um, I agree with that. Um, I was trying to like think in like the Half-Blood Prince where I was like, what was like, because I enjoyed the book so much, but I'm just like, what is like a moment from it that is just like, this blew me away. This was like such a a wild moment. Um, And I think it was like, how Dumbledore's death was like, not unexpected that he was going to be like offed. Like that was not something where I was like, Oh my God, she killed off Dumbledore. It was just like how sudden it was where they 
get done with their mission. Harry's kind of been like dragged along and he's like, what's like, why are we doing this? What are we doing? And then they get back and he's dead. Like, like he's losing his mind and Snape offs him. So um, I think that's a moment that is just like, you know that it's coming, but not like, not like that. For sure. You're like reading the books and you know, like in my opinion, and I knew that he had died before I, before oh, I read yeah, the books, yeah. obviously. So that moment wasn't a shock to me, but um, you, he had to die. Like from a literary perspective, he had to die because yeah. if, he's, if he's alive, then, well, then, you know, Dumbledore can just kill Voldemort, right? Like, yeah, he had to die. Like it had to be, that was their security blanket. And so you have to remove the security blanket in order for the heroes to really become the actual heroes of the story. But I agree, it was very abrupt in the way that it happened. And then there's this, I imagine people who are reading it in between the sixth book and you're waiting for the seventh book. And it's like, there's these separate factions where it's like, okay, Snape is officially like 100% a bad guy versus these other people who are like, I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like it was still some sort of planning involved. Maybe he's not all the, like that there's a tension there as well. So. Yeah. I'm trying to think like what I, I think after I read it and I was just like, Oh my gosh. Like again, like he said, like she is setting him up to die. I thought he was going to die when they were like, um, you know, when he's like drinking that like liquid and it's like, he's losing his mind, but like, um he's like harry keep making me drink this and he has to like like it's a very like tense moment you're like okay he's probably just like something's gonna happen like something's gonna come out of this water and grab dumbledore and like kill him um like that was that was my thought process there where it's like oh yeah this is expected how he's like or like he'll get back and like he'll be so weak because like it was obviously a pretty taxing trip he's already been like kind of shifty throughout the whole book because he was trying to like destroy the Horcruxes. So he has the ring, it's destroying his hand. Like there are so many things that you're like, yes, this is going to happen, but not like that. (laughs) Um, So then, yeah, going and waiting for the seventh book is like, well, man, Snape's terrible. And we knew he was bad, but like, I didn't know he was that bad. Same, right? Like, damn, like (laughs) he took it to another level with that one. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but was an honorable mention of a a moment but like again like i said like we both said that we know that like you know that he's gonna die so that's like why it's like oh it's not like a huge it doesn't change anything and it has to happen to progress the story yeah definitely it's that's a good moment though that is a good moment to shout out um emily it's been a privilege talking to you it's been Um, a lot of fun this has been so much fun this has been super dope. And we're going we're gonna to come back again. We'll have an ex- episode next week. I believe is our next episode. Are we going to do movie moments next? or? Um, we can definitely do movie moments. We're also going to be going into like our favorite books, which we yes. both talked about, like which books are our favorite, but like yeah. kind of a deep dive of those books. Because um, there's a lot going on. You can't just be like, oh yeah, this moment was great. Okay, we're moving on. Like you exactly. did dedicate time to the book so we're we'll be doing that too exactly i'm looking forward to it looking forward to continuing the series um thank you all for listening 
And we will see you again soon. I am Arnold Woods for Emily Cornell. We love you guys. Thank you. Thank you.